Good afternoon and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly show that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre. And at Dublin BIC, we work with startups to get them investor ready and also to assist them raise the funding needed to grow their business. I'm Connor Carmody. I hope you'll stay with me over the next hour as we explore emerging trends in the world of technology and business. And each week, we've been looking at the different trends that shape this world of ours. And so this week, I'd like to discuss social purpose and indeed the idea of profit with purpose. We're seeing the emergence of purpose-driven companies. They're companies that are trying to solve some of the world's largest problems. So you could think of Food Cloud, a brilliant startup that was founded here in Ireland to reduce food waste. Another is Change Donations, a startup that has found a way to let you give your digital spare change to charity. And we're delighted to see this sector get more support today with the launch of the first edition of the 2021 Profit with Purpose magazine, which is a collaboration between the Business Spirit platform and Dublin City Council. And it prompted us to kind of have a look at this whole Profit with Purpose uh, theme for this week. Companies like those I just mentioned show that the sustainable economy is not just a necessity, but a market opportunity. So today... We look forward to talking about the business of profit with purpose and a particular focus on sustainability. And when we think about carbon emissions as the global issue of our time, some will say that solving this problem is a requirement, but also a massive business opportunity. And there is a new proposed EU target of a 55% reduction in carbon emissions by 2030. And this will put big pressure on governments and businesses to address this issue. Um, And so we're all becoming uh, aware of, of those impacts Uh, And yet we still know that when we come to business, profit uh, seems to often take precedence. But it seems to me if you can form a business that makes a profit and helps the environment, then you're onto a winner. So innovation will play a big role in helping us towards those targets, making it a perfect topic for Startup Nation. So let's get started. First up, we're going to hear from Kira Feely, who's the head of communications at fundraising at Vita. It's an innovative, innovative Irish development agency, has been supporting farmers in Ethiopia and Eritrea for almost 30 years. And they have a, a green impact fund, which I'm really dying to hear about. It's a next generation model of social investment. We'll hear from Ashlyn Carwin of Positive Carbon. She'll join us to talk about our company, which is aimed at the hotel market and is manufacturing a solution to reduce food waste in as simple a way as possible. And finally, we'll chat to entrepreneur and investor Faye Walsh of Wake Up Capital, who are an early stage impact fund intent on accelerating positive systemic change that benefits both people and the planet. So each week in our Future Scope slot, we explore trends in a particular sector, providing the global perspective, but also what's happening on the ground. We discuss challenges being presented and the innovations that are being developed to solve these. And to start us off, I'm delighted to be joined by Kira Feely, who's the Head of Communications at Fundraising at Vita. Kira, good afternoon. Good afternoon and happy Sunday to you. <laughs> happy Sunday to you. Thanks for joining us. Um, maybe... To start us off, I was looking at the, the Vita website uh, yesterday and uh, it's fascinating. Tell me a little bit about Vita and what you're trying to achieve. Well, Vita uh, started as a, an overseas agency, an NGO, in the late 90s, or late 80s, in my apologies. And we were uh, very much focused on humanitarian and refugee issues. And we realised very early on in the late 90s that we were too small to be 
very effective in in those areas. And we also realised that the refugees and displaced people we were working with would would not be in this situation were it not for economic reasons. The vast majority of refugees in the world are actually economic refugees and they would prefer to be in their country of origin. So we started looking at sustainable livelihoods. We're very much focused now on East Africa, on Ethiopia and Eritrea, on building sustainable livelihoods for um, rural families and achieving climate justice and climate smart communities. Fantastic! It sounds uh, it sounds amazing. I I was looking at some of the stories on the website as you described them, which is beautiful. Can I ask you to explain to our listeners the power of the potato? I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> you can. Well, the potato is a very clever crop. It's a catch crop, anyway. So it's always a, a, a good crop. It's very very climate smart. It uh, it can survive periods of drought where other um, uh, other crops can't and don't do well. So we 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 have we work very closely with Chagas, for instance, and with experts all over the world. We work with Kyo's uh, Chris and Country Crest, and um, we work with Slaney Farms and all of these Irish commercial experts who know an awful lot about growing potatoes, yeah. and they lend their expertise to our team and our farmers in Ethiopia and in Eritrea. And um, we we have introduced new species of potatoes, new varieties of potatoes that are much more adaptable to the situation. We grow potatoes actually at about 2,000 metres, which is really quite unusual. And they have transformed the lives of the potato farmers there. Potato in, in Africa is known as the Irish potato to distinguish it from the sweet potato that is the local varieties. And therefore, people very much relate the potato to Ireland over there. Uh, they're very, um, the farms there are very ambitious, you know, yeah. just as they are here. And they want to get as much value out of their land as they possibly can. So we're working with them on, you know, planting good varieties, soil sanitation, um, storage, um, and right along the um, value chain as well, packaging, sorting, transport, logistics. Um, forming co-ops, marketing, opening bank accounts, every single facet of the value chain. We are lucky enough in Ireland to have experts who can bring an awful lot of experience to the conversation. Wow, it's fantastic when you think about uh, the Irish potato that in, in parts of Africa they're referring to. It. I love that uh, notion. Um, so there's, there's, there's this conversation then, I guess, around the, you know, enabling the self-sufficiency in, in the markets that you're working in. But you're also then, you've developed a fund, the Green Impact Fund. And explain that to me, because I presume you're not just supplying expertise, but there's also money required to, to, to drive this change. Set up in 2015 the Vita Green Impact Fund for very specific reasons to create sustainable sources of funding. If I can be blunt, the whole sector around um, a, a grant making and donors is very dysfunctional, yeah. you know, and uh, we need to bring in new next generation levels of thinking here. It hasn't worked. So, you know, why would we assume that keeping up the same models of development, they'll somehow start working? They won't. Social impact investment is an incredibly strong, powerful way to enable communities to drive their own development. So our platform, uh, which we set up in 2015, um, we 
it, it allows communities to generate carbon offsets through the programs that they partner with us doing. So, for instance, if I could give you an example, the um, clean water, we've all seen those ads on TV of people walking miles, those horrible ads, yeah. you know, yeah. for water. Um, when people have access to clean water in their locale, you know, close yeah. in their village, um, they don't have to boil dirty water to sanitise it. This means that they're not, they're reducing the stress, if you like, on local forestry. Yes. Uh, significantly, in fact. Um, about between 30 and 45% of water points in East Africa are broken, depending on where you are. Mm. And so rather than building new uh, water points, Vita's model is to fix the old ones. It's right. about nine times cheaper. But it's also something that the community do themselves. We work with them to identify the problems. We support them in achieving solutions for that. But ultimately, they own this project themselves. They fix those water points themselves with a lot of support from Vita. And they... Um, you know, this sense of ownership is something that has been missing in the equation all along. What has happened for years and years as well, intentioned NGOs, like I said, went into villages and fixed water points or sunk new wells yeah. and moved on to the next village. And they didn't leave any residual knowledge. They didn't leave any access to spare points when, parts when they broke down or technical expertise. And there was no sense of ownership. This model is completely and community driven so there is, and there is also a sustainable uh, mechanism around to ensure that there is access to spare points spare parts that the expertise is available that the expertise is within the community itself because there's a lot of training so Excellent. that's how the, the water model works and the stoves model is quite similar the stove we uh, work with uh, communities to introduce um fuel efficient stoves so if you can imagine a stove is the only footprint that an African family usually has every year rural family because they don't drive anywhere they yeah. don't fly anywhere yeah. they don't have central heating but they cook on an open stove and apart from the appalling health you know impact of sure. that um, it's also very high it's very very poor efficiency most of the heat energy is lost before it cooks the food yeah, yeah. or boils the water so Vita's uh, fuel efficient stove apart from being much safer is um, also about 60% more efficient so if each uh, family was responsible we uh, understand for about 5 tonnes of carbon emissions every year through their stove use this new stove reduces that to about 2 tonnes Wow. so it reduces a huge amount of stress on local forestry and uh, actually it it reduces a huge amount of drudgery on women yeah, and yeah. girls they get their time back wow wow it's it's amazing you've mentioned a couple of times there you've said uh, carbon offsets and carbon reduction yeah. would you would you talk to me about that kind of whole value chain within the carbon market because it seems like a it seems something that you're deeply involved in certainly is. Uh, the premise of the Vita Green Impact Fund was to generate carbon offsets, or what an awful lot of people will uh, understand them as carbon credits, right. um, and to generate these for sale, so that the, you know, the, the reductions of 
um, emissions when, when a stove goes from producing five tonnes of carbon a year to, or to producing two tonnes of carbon a year, that middle three tonnes, that carbon emission savings yeah. is actually a commodity that you can sell in the voluntary carbon market. Earth are accredited by the gold standard. So it's not, we have to prove that this emissions savings has been made. We can't just make it up and go, yeah, we did this. <laughs> we have to back it up and it's a very robust, methodologies in backing it up but it also it gives our offset the highest levels of credibility our, our, our offset our, our credits are um, life transforming clean water is life transforming you know clean cooking is life transforming yeah, yeah. so they're very high quality credits which means the market loves them so we can sell them what's unique this, this is a market that's existed for a number of years what's unique about Vita and to of our knowledge, it's globally unique about Vita, is we hold on to the credits until the point of sale. In the normal course of things, you can buy you can buy a carbon credit from Goldman Sachs if you yes. want to, you yeah. know. Uh, the, in the normal course of things, um, commercial developers will go to NGOs and go, here's some money to build some stoves, we'll in return take the uh, credits credit. and we'll sell them and they go from one agent to another agent to another agent until you buy them to offset your flight or until Microsoft or someone else yeah. buys them to offset their impact. Uh, in Visa's case, as I say, it's globally unique. It's a circular model, which is very, very rare. We retain the ownership of those offsets all the way through the value chain until the point of sale because we've paid for the stoves ourselves through the investment we raised with our, our uh, Visa Green Impact Fund. So we have the right to retain them all the way through. And when we sell them, the surplus from that sale is reinvested back into the communities who generated those offsets in the first place. And hence you have this incredibly unusual circular model as opposed to all the linear models that exist within the marketplace. Now the voluntary carbon market is changing and the it, it is now recognised globally as a, a, a very um, viable means of um, the global south uh, re- achieving equity with the global north, right. if you like. They have this commodity that they can sell. So uh, you have the likes of Mark Carney and his um, task force for scaling the voluntary market. He's the um, he's that. the UN special envoy on uh, climate he, action. He is, and climate finance as well, which is uh, very important. He's also former you know, Bank of England, former yes. um, head Canadian of the Bank of England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's you know he's fairly iconic in the investment world, and particularly in climate finance. But he has assembled some of the uh, most notable, um, say, businesses in the world, everyone from Bill Gates, you know, right through to uh, Unilever and uh, about all, all of the uh, uh, emissaries of business in the world have come together under his task force. Now, some of them are some of the biggest emitters of emissions in the world. But as Bill, uh, as Bill Gates has said, the, you, the industries have to change themselves from the inside out. Yes. So they have to be involved in the change. So this task force plans to scale the um, the voluntary market uh, 
to about 15 times what it is worth today. Wow. So they they expect by 2030 for the voluntary carbon market to be about you know 51 uh, billion dollars, 50 uh, or so billion dollars, and that's an absolute paradigm shift in the approach to voluntary carbon uh, offset. It's fascinating, uh, Kira. Um, in terms of just last question for me, then, in terms of some of the, the kind of the other big trends that you're seeing around carbon emissions, so you've talked about that whole voluntary carbon chain. Is there anything else going on that, that we need to be aware of? Well, I do see um, uh, the, it, it used to be a business to business exercise, a B2B yes, thing, you yeah. know, where you had the likes of Philips, Toshiba, Microsoft buying offsets from people you never heard of. Now, in the last three years, I have seen it become very much a mainstream event. It has uh, it has captured the imagination of the public. For yes. instance, we sell carbon offsets individually um, on our website. We're mainly a wholesale seller, but we, we have a retail um, on our website, you know, for eight euros a ton. And in the beginning, nobody really was very interested in that. But over the last two years, we've seen a lot of traffic. You know, people offset their flights, which obviously hasn't happened in the last year or oh, so. Yeah, yeah. But people have also offset, say, their central heating for the year. They they offset, you know, their commutes and things like that. People Fantastic. are yeah. beginning to embed their footprint into their thinking, into their decision making. Our mantra would always be measure, avoid you know, yeah. and and offset. And so, people, I think, are beginning to think like that now as well. Brilliant. So there's this big move from from not just, as you say, big B2B or corporates, but it's now us as consumers. Kira, yeah. um, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon and it was great to chat. Pleasure. That was Kira Fihili of Vita. So each week we bring you an innovator who has spotted a gap in the market and is developing a new product to address that gap and they're going to tell us all about it. And I'm delighted to be joined this week by Ashling Kerwin of Positive Carbon. Ashling, good afternoon. Hello, Connor. How are you? You're very good. Thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon. I was reading all about you and, uh, and one thing I said, I have, this is a quote from you, I have made a difference in the impact of food waste on the planet. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying anyway. You're trying. Um, <laughs> tell us all about Positive Carbon. What do you do? Positive Carbon provides commercial kitchens with fully automated food waste monitoring technology, and yeah. this allows them to see what food waste they're creating so they can reduce it, and that saves them hundreds of thousands on their food bills, but while also helping the planet. Wow. Uh, and your background, I mean, you have created food waste programmes across some of the world's largest food retailers. Was that the kind of the precursor to setting up Positive Carbon? Absolutely. So it's myself and my co-founder, Mark, as well. Yeah. We've been working in the food waste industry for about six years together. Right. So we both started off in Ireland working with Food Cloud, which is a phenomenal uh, yeah. uh, social enterprise here. And since then, we've worked on projects with food retailers across Ireland, uh, the UK, Australia and Chile, working on reducing their food waste. But when we got back to Ireland, we just noticed that the largest wastes of food, which is the food service industry, but again, more specifically hotels, they just didn't have a suitable solution for their food waste. So we spent a good few months on research, contacting hundreds of chefs and general managers, anyone that would speak to us, just to understand understand the problem from their perspective, see what their current obstacles on reducing their food waste are. And after many months and many variations on the deck as well, uh, that's who we landed on creating our food waste scanners. So 
maybe firstly describe the problem. So when you talk about food waste in hotels as a, as a particular sector that you're going after, what's, what's the actual problem there? How, why, why is the food waste being generated? Why can't they deal with it? Yeah, well, if we just look at it as an, even a problem on a global scale and kind of work down, so it's absolutely massive. One third of all food that's produced globally is wasted, wow. and that contributes to 10% of all the greenhouse gas emissions that we currently produce. So Ireland, we're a, we're a small country, but we waste a million tonnes of food every single year. Wow. And for the food service industry, that's a cost of 300 million euro. Um, and although we look at food waste, we, there's always going to be a certain element that's going to be inevitable. Yeah. Um, that's what we call your unavoidable food waste. That's your bones, your peelings, your scraps. That that's can't be used. Yes. However, we're very focused on reducing that avoidable food waste, and that's food that could have been eaten but instead was wasted. And why is it wasted? Actually, it goes out of date, or the the kitchen orders too much, or I, I guess I explain why it goes it goes to waste. It's a bit of everything. So just as you described there, it's kind of we see it as three different sources. So you have your uh, preparation waste food that was prepared and never used, your unserved food, so things that were uh, created but never actually sent out to customers to eat. And then you have the biggest source of all together is your plate waste. That's the food that's coming back in from customers that people didn't order too much, never touched the side or just okay. uh, sent it back. So um, the average hotel, 66% of that wasted food is uh, avoidable, so didn't need to uh, be wasted. While if we look at hotel functions, and this is a lot on the, the customer side of, of habits that we need to change, that shoots up to 85, 85%. So there's a lot of savings that can be made for these businesses. 85% of the food at a kind of, as you say, at that function uh, within the hotel is Absolutely. wasted. Um, didn't need to be wasted. So didn't it was, it was edible food that didn't need to be wasted. So that's uh, conferences, weddings and the like. Shocking sort of stats when you hear it like that, Ashling. Um, so that's the problem. How are you going to help us fix that? <laughs> um, well, the plan is um, we have created this uh, fully automated food waste monitoring system. So the idea behind it is that we have a food waste scanner. Yeah. It's the size of a fire alarm, so it's very small. Yeah. And it simply sits on the ceiling above the bin. Uh, we use a technology called LiDAR, right. which is actually a type of laser, and that is used to identify the volume and the weight of the food, yeah. while a little camera takes an image of the food as it's thrown away, and AI labels that food. So to, in a quick summary, when a piece of food is thrown away, our scanner is able to say, that's three ki- kilos of beef, or whatever it may be. But and, go, go on. No, I was going to say, so you can. So once, one side of it is, is identifying it, uh, and, and But I presume then having identified that, as you say, that side of beef was thrown out, didn't need to be, it, it, it then probably leads the hotel to kind of examine their food production, their food preparation, uh, that sort of stuff. Absolutely. So the idea behind it is that all of this data is captured and it's displayed on our reporting dashboards. So this is where our customers can see line by line information on what they're wasting. And now that they have this very concrete, reliable data on what food they're wasting and when they're wasting it, they're able to make those changes to their preparation, the production and purchasing. And that then allows them to cut down on the food waste. There's a lot of businesses, they want to reduce food waste. They just don't know where to start because they don't have this reliable data. Right. So, so you know, if I'm running the hotel, uh, I don't know what's going on in the kitchen. I don't know what's coming in, what's going out. I don't know where the food is going. And therefore, I can't really address the problem. So your technology in the first instance allows me to understand the scope of the problem I have within my hotel. 
Absolutely, and that's you've hit on a key point there is that there's a lot of different decision makers within a hotel. So the general manager, uh, although they might be in charge of the budget, don't know what's happening on the ground in the in the kitchen and may want an overview on that. And the same thing, chefs always want to be cutting waste where they can and now this gives them that information to do that. Very good. So it seems to me like, uh, as they would say, a no-brainer for the hotel. <laughs> to, to So why wouldn't why wouldn't they all adopt it immediately <laughs> well I'm hoping they will now that everything <laughs> is back open again yeah. um, <laughs> I suppose again it's um, it's brand new tech as well so that can always be a bit of obstacle with people and sometimes what we've noticed with our discussion so far is that people consider food waste almost an inevitability it's it's factored into the budget it's not something they really think about yeah. and a lot of the time people don't know the scale of it so when you sit down with a chef or a general manager and you just get an idea of what their food budget is and just some quick back of uh, napkin mats, you can be talking about 100,000 up to half a million of of uh, euro just going into the bin on food waste. And you can get a, a lot of shocked faces at that point yeah. and people more interested in kind of progressing from there. Uh, brilliant. Um, is the So have you built out the technology? At what stage are you at in the journey at the moment? Yeah, so we have the brand new tech is being piloted currently in the Grand Hotel in Malahide. The team there have been absolutely fantastic, very, very proactive in the food waste space. Um, So over the summer, we have a few more small scale pilots that we're going to be running uh, before we have our official launch in September. And from there, we'll be running um, a few larger scale uh, rollouts there. Sounds amazing. Um so presumably, and, and I, I met you last year when you, you took the CSF, the Competitive Start from, from Enterprise Ireland, uh, and I presume you'll be doing further fundraising. What does the journey ahead look like for you, do you think, over the next, uh, over the next 18 months? Absolutely. That's definitely our next big kind of milestone that we'll be going for would be our first round of funding. So that would be money that we'll be using for expanding our team, keep building out the tech that we're working on and rolling out to those customers. So we're already meeting with a few um, different interested parties. And the idea would be that we will uh, get the ball rolling and everything come for January 2020 uh, to have our first big role. Um, first big uh, funding rollout confirmed. Very good. Um, one of the things we're talking about uh, this afternoon on the show is this uh, notion of, of kind of responsible investment and sustainable investing. And I presume a product like yours would appeal to a wider group of investors than maybe just the traditional investment route that people would go through. Absolutely. We're quite lucky in that sense is that the maybe traditional VCs are interested in expanding portfolios out to environmental groups, but yeah. also that there are specific environmental VCs out there so they're also ones that are obviously very interested in speaking and it's their area and they understand uh, that not only you'll get a financial return on this but also an environmental return on investment is very important for them as well and we're also very lucky with a lot of initiatives around the EU where there's a lot of funding out there for green initiatives so we have a lot of options available to us thankfully. Fantastic. Last question from me um, Ashling. what's the vision for the future uh, for the company? Uh, the vision would be that we know there's a lot of uh, kind of upcoming legislation around the EU around recording and reducing food waste nationally. And as a country, we've already committed to halving food waste by 2030. So our hope is that with this push and definitely with the desire that we've already seen for more sustainable solutions in kitchens, that uh, solutions like ours, food waste scanners, will 
will just be as ubiquitous as electricity meters. And we aim to make food waste monitoring just as simple and as accessible as possible so that any business that wants to monitor their food waste can. Brilliant. Um, Ashley, the very best of luck as you build out the company. And I'd love to, to hear from you again as, we, as, we, uh, as you grow. Uh, and we will have you back again to chat. So thank you for coming on with us this afternoon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Ashley. That was Ashley Kerwin of Positive Carbon. And I just want to pick up on one point. Uh, we're talking about investing in, in, in kind of climate innovation. And we will be hearing from Faye shortly to talk about her new fund. Um, but there are also some other uh, big uh, firms and initiatives that startups could look at. Um, I picked out a few. Uh, there's uh, there's the IKEA Foundation, um, which which I hadn't come across before, um, committed to tackling kind of some of those root causes of inequality, poverty, the consequences of climate change. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, there's a number of the the VC funds that we just heard uh, maybe Ashling reference there. Venture for Climate Tech, a non profit global kind of venture studio and accelerator program, and they're looking for climate tech innovators from around the world, um, working with them to kind of develop first customers, pilot runs, and investment. Um, I looked at uh, Lower Carbon Capital and they're looking for kick-ass companies, as they call it, that make real money slashing CO2 emissions. Um, and they looked kind of interesting again. Uh, and we will be hearing uh, from Faye Walsh shortly on, on Wake Up Capital. So I think as, a, as, a, as, an, a, as an entrepreneur starting, uh, there are lots of funds available. And we also heard Ashling mention that the EU has some grants available. So, so lots of support in that responsible innovation and investment space. That's uh, hopefully of interest to you. And that's our inside track for this week. We'll take a break and come back shortly with Faye. So don't go away. So welcome back to Startup Nation, our weekly salute to innovation, entrepreneurship and the technologies that are shaping our future world. Starting and scaling a business is a tough time. And each week we speak to somebody who knows what it takes to start and scale a business and see can we get some inspiration. And so today I'm delighted to welcome Faye Walsh-Driard of Wake Up Capital. Good afternoon, Faye, and thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon, Connor, and thank you so much for having me. To start us off, Faye, tell us a little bit about you uh, and your background. You're, a, you're originally from Washington, D.C. That's right. Uh, I was born actually in the city of D.C., which is pretty rare. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I actually moved out to the West Coast um, in college and stayed there um, and ended up moving to Europe and spent time in Paris and then have been in Europe for about 11 years. So I, I call myself a bit of a hybrid. <laughs> What brought you to Europe? Uh, work. Uh, I was working for a law firm, actually, and, and had an opportunity to work in, in Paris. And I had my, my eyes set on being um, a lawyer, right? Um, like my father, um, but found out that I actually had a real entrepreneurial streak in me and ended up actually going back to the U.S. to go to business school and also for a job. So I moved back to L.A. Right. So you've been shuttling back and forward. Yes, I have. Probably over the last, most of my adult life, I feel like I've been back and forth, but have now spent more time in Europe than the U.S. as a grown-up. Right. So is, is this now home for you? Uh, yes, it is. I would say it is, although at home to me is sort of where my family is. Yeah. Um, but we are here. Our, our One of our children was actually born here. Right. And we've been here now um, seven years. Very good. Um, I was reading a little bit about you, and one of the things I came across was you're unwilling to accept the status quo. I think that's a lovely phrase. Explain that to me. Absolutely. Um, I think what's really driven my work in life is this idea that you can prove that you can do good and do well at the same time. And from a very young age, I was very curious, but I also was not, I was not convinced that the systems we had in place 
we're serving the needs of everyone equally. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand economically why we um, were chasing only one metric, which is profit, yeah. when when there was so much imbalance in the world and also when the, the, the future of the planet was at stake. Um, so I think everything that I've ever done is, is, is based on that theme of sort of questioning, why is this happening? Why does it work this way? And does it have to continue working this way? Can we do something better? Uh, it can always be improved. And so I think you're not accepting the status quo is basically my belief that just because something is done this way um, doesn't mean it needs to continue, that we can come in and innovate and change. And I think that's what's required in entrepreneurship anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's really where that comes from. We've been talking this afternoon about profit with purpose, and we're describing the notion that, and you've just said it there, but surely we're pushing a big stone up a large mountain if we're trying to kind of change the world to think about that profit doesn't have to be the sole metric, that there are other metrics involved also? Um, Absolutely. I mean, when you have an entire financial system that's based on one metric, surely all the players involved are going to gear their business and their thinking towards achieving that metric. Uh, But the challenge is by doing so, um, all of our systems um, have been aligned to that. And then we also are working in a world where our resources are limited and we're seeing the negative consequences of focusing just on profit alone such as, for example, the problems stemming from climate change, from mass inequality. And this goes across every industry on the planet. So so the reality is the way we've been working is based on on that one metric, but it's actually not sustainable. And I think, especially during COVID, uh, it's made that even more clear that whatever we've been doing is is not the way we need to continue into the next century. And while I would accept there is a growing realisation of that, presumably we're pushing back against an entire system that is set up with that one metric in mind, drive a single bottom line. Absolutely. And of course, making that change is is, is a challenge. I think we're still in the early days of, of, of making a shift. Um, in, in specifically, I mean, I'm interested in seeing impact on the balance sheet. That's when it's really going to make a difference, when people's compensation packages are tied not only to profit, but also to the impact on people and the environment. And so far, that just hasn't been the case. And until we see that happen, until it actually impacts, for example, stock prices, brand equity, and uh, yeah, performance of high-level executives, um, and that's going to require cooperation, not just from business and financial markets, but also government and, and, and other stakeholders involved. Um, and it is a big process, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and maybe I just would mention one interesting piece of history. You know, 100 years ago when the, the, we had the first financial markets crash, we didn't have a globally accepted way of accounting and counting money for yeah. business. And that's where GAP came from. Yeah. Right? That, was a, that was a reaction to crisis. I think then in the 60s and 70s, we didn't necessarily formally measure risk. And what was, what was happening within energy markets and oil prices, we realized, oh, my goodness, there are unforeseen risks in the world. How do we measure that? And now risk is measured. You never... You never ignore risk when you're making a business decision or investment decision. I think now we're in a space where you cannot make an investment or business decision without taking into consideration the impact on society and the environment. But how that's actually done, technically speaking, we're still working that out. So we are at the very early stage in this systemic change. Um, if I asked you to put a time frame on that, is that a kind of a 10 to 20 year change that we're looking at? I think it's going to happen sooner. I think it's five to 10 years. Okay. Yeah, I think so. You can already see from the significant amount of investment going into with an ESG lens, for example, 
uh, the, the, these are, are maybe a, a focus that is slowly percolating. And then I think within COVID, it's starting to really become mainstream. And when more money is put into funds that have an ESG focus, that will then trickle down to the businesses um, on the ground. Right. So I, I'd say five, ten years. Five to ten years. And um, before I come to uh, wake up capital, because I'm dying to hear how that's uh, going and, and to hear all about it, we uh, this afternoon have been talking about kind of some of the big trends in in sustainability. And we we heard from Kira Fihilia Vita uh, around carbon reduction, and she gave us some lovely examples from from Eritrea and Ethiopia. Um, If I asked you about kind of some of those big trends around that carbon value chain or carbon reduction, what are you seeing and and what's happening there? Absolutely. Well, I mean, first of all, if you look at what Europe is doing and also in in Ireland alone, you know, the the European Green Deal is remarkable. Um, And the fact that there's a climate law at the EU level um, and then, of course, the Irish government adopting sort of climate action and low carbon development bill. That's just indication that, that there's no messing anymore, that, that, that this has to happen, that we don't have a choice. Um, but then in order for these policies to actually be implemented on the ground to, to, to support a carbon neutral economy, we need to have the actual businesses have the, the resources um, and ability to transform the way they operate um, to either, you know, reduce the, their, their carbon emissions and, and, and or adapt their businesses to be more carbon neutral. And that's not easy and it's not cheap. Um, so that's where you really need innovation to come into play to sort of partner up with those government policies. And I think the areas that I think are really interesting to keep an eye on, of course, would be around um, waste management. Okay. It would be around the development um, of food and agriculture practices, which, of course, agriculture being an Irish yeah. mainstay, yeah. but also one of the worst emitters on the planet. And also, of course, within energy. Uh, and that's both a local and a global issue. Um, and then transportation. So we're talking about not just, you know, EV, but also, you know, how we move goods and, yeah. and, uh, around, the, around the world um, and also just across the country. Um, and then, you know, energy with regard to, um, you know, how our homes are fueled, how our businesses are fueled. Um, and then, I mean, you can also look m- more at the kind of consumer level. We don't focus as much on consumer and consumer solutions. We're more interested in innovations within the value change. But I think in terms of carbon, it's not just about reduction um, of carbon emissions. It's also trying to offset offset the, the challenges um, of industries that will inevitably engage in, in, in carbon. You can't stop carbon emission, but yes. can we somehow neutralize it? Yes. Can we reduce it? Um, so, th- so this this move to kind of carbon neutral or even carbon negative. But uh, you mentioned carbon offsets, and it came up earlier on this afternoon in the conversation. This notion of carbon credits, um, and that they're a, a, a for, for the for the NGO that we were talking to, they're a vital way of raising funds. Um, is that is that a, a kind of a realistic way of doing of 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 solving or addressing the carbon emission issue? I think it makes sense because, as I said, some businesses can't just transform overnight and yeah. all of a sudden, you know, completely negate their carbon emissions. But if you see carbon as a value, as a value that, or a commodity that can be traded, um, I think then you open up all these wonderful solutions where businesses can engage in the carbon economy. They may be able to reduce harm, but not entirely. But can they engage in trading, you know, carbon credits? as a way to offset. Yeah. Their, their, and, and I think it's, I think it's a really interesting way to go about it. 
but it were still very, very early, early days. Um, one of our actual venture partners in Holland had worked on a really interesting biofuel company that helped big shipping companies figure out how to, you know, reduce their carbon emissions. Yeah. And he's now also working within the carbon trading market. It's, it's still really experimenting and hard to, it's hard to make it perfect yet until we innovate and test and see. But I do think it's an area that we're going to see more and more. Yeah. Um, particularly maybe within agriculture. I was actually having a conversation this morning with a company that's specifically working on a carbon market whereby farmers could be trading uh, actively themselves as growers to offset their own carbon emissions, knowing they can't entirely eliminate them, but maybe they could get credits for more sustainable agricultural products. Wow. Across- and, and it also seems to me that it will move from, from kind of just B2B into B2C. And as consumers become more aware, they're probably going to want to start, uh, and I think Kira mentioned it to us earlier on, people are going to want to start offsetting their own personal carbon emissions and try to uh, offset some of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's already happening. There's a real desire, um, but that can be very overwhelming for consumers. You know, I think it's wonderful to say that, that we can all make, with every choice we make every day, you know, how can we reduce our own carbon footprint? That's really important. Um, but at the same time, you know, one individual making one choice is not going to work. You really need it, as we say in French, en masse. Yeah. You really need the masses to do it. So I think the key is businesses need to offer consumers choice versus putting all the onus upon the, the consumers themselves. Right, okay. Right? You don't want to, and I think this is a real challenge right now. You know, you see a lot of NGOs and groups out there basically making consumers feel guilty. Yeah. They're using the guilt card to get people to change their 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 practice. The reality is most of us would probably like to make the right decision if we had good, sustainable choices at yes. affordable rates. And right now that is not the case. Okay. So that's why you see maybe a Tesla come out in the market at a premium product. Yeah like you would have seen Whole Foods come out as a premium brand, yes. that will then drive innovation to lower cost models. But we're still in the early days on that. Okay, very good. Super. Um, let's have a chat about Wake Up Capital, uh, Faye. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, How did you set it up? What prompted you and, uh, and what it is that you're trying to achieve? Absolutely. Um, I think it goes back to the first question that you had for me, which was around not accepting the status quo. Um, uh, I've been in Ireland about seven years. I actually got involved um, in, in investing more as an angel investor. Yeah. And I noticed very quickly the remarkable lack of focus on sustainability and inclusive businesses here in Ireland. Yeah. Um, and then also the, the lack of diversity in leadership in funds, venture funds. And the fact that, you know, businesses are run by all kinds of people, but why should venture capital just be led by a very small subset of individuals, mostly men, uh, of a certain background, um, when in fact those businesses are serving the population of the world, which is, happens to be 50% women and, and much more diverse. So it just seems very unbalanced. Um, and then also the fact that there is this incredible market opportunity of solving the UN social development goals, instead of seeing them as problems, these to me are opportunities yeah. for investment. Now I know many many funds have been much more focused on just technology and as I always say, searching for the next stripe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, What's the next big unicorn that we can it, find here? Yeah. It, it, exactly. Nobody was really focusing on sustainability um, and also inclusive businesses as, as a as a as a theme or as a sector. In fact I have many people say to me, Connor, oh that's so lovely what you're doing, Faye, but that's kind of more <laughs> charity. So you, we're going to go over here and make money, and you go go have fun with that sweet little thing. Kind of patronizing, no? Uh, just a, just a tiny bit. Um, but to be honest, you know, most of my career I've been working in this area and have had that kind of attitude. Yeah. I think now we're seeing 
the opportunity. And you're starting to see, you know, on headlines now here, people are focused on sustainability. It's a thing. You, know, you want to talk about it today. Um, there are There is an incredible um, business opportunity in innovating the way that we um, the way that we work, the way that we live, uh, the way that we consume products, the way that we fuel our homes. Um, so, so I think really the t- tide is turning in our favor. So Wake Up Capital was really a response to that gap in the market to say, can we have a venture fund based in Ireland, invest in Irish businesses, but we also invest in the UK and the Netherlands that is specifically focused on solving some of the biggest problems of our lifetime, but with these incredible market-based solutions that have the opportunity to scale. Um, but the way that we'll know that it's working is not only we measure the financial performance of those companies, but we will also be tracking the actual impact that they want to make, whether it's offsetting carbon, whether it's providing financial services to people with disabilities, whether it's providing some kind of a di- diagnostic um, healthcare service to a previously overlooked group of people, um, what is going to be the ultimate impact that those companies have? And can we measure that and link it to our incentive as fund managers? And that's probably why we're very unique. Our actual carry as a venture fund is linked to both financial and impact targets. So we really put our money where our mouth is. So it sounds amazing, Faye. And but but to go about developing a fund like that when you're pushing back against maybe some of those existing kind of stereotypes, if I will, um, was it difficult for you to go out? Because you have to go and raise funds from private backers to build your own fund and you're the fund manager. Uh, was it was it a difficult process to raise those funds? You mean, is it a difficult process? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ongo- yeah sure. Ongoing. Yeah, it is a very difficult process. Um, but, you know, again, like all of our partners, we're, we're all previous operators. So what do we do when we see a gap or a challenge? We do what entrepreneurs do. You know, we come up with a new solution. And what we are doing is very different, um, and it is innovative. But on the other hand, I think people see the opportunity and, you know, the need to have different thinking, not just in what businesses are doing, but in fund management. Yeah. Um, can't have the same old, same old. Um, and I think what we were also doing is we spent a lot of time researching and establishing the market demand for this well in advance of others. Um, and to demonstrate that there is an opportunity, we also made our initial investment in an incredible company, which you may know about, Macro, Macro yeah. Irish, yeah, Irish ag tech company, to demonstrate that we were serious. Um, I would also say that you know, big um, European institutions are very interested in seeing more diverse-led impact funds in the European space to, to support SMEs across Europe. In fact, they have a they have a, a, a remit to do that. Um, so I really admire some of the bigger institutions who are focused on this now. Um, so, so I think it was a combination of things and then also willing to, um, you know, put in put in our own funds. Yes. And, 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 and so, you know, I can go tell someone else to do this, but it's much more compelling when we're actually willing to take the risk ourselves. And I think that's been very compelling to say, you know, we, we're doing this ourselves. So, so join us. We're putting our money where our mouth is. Um, it is, it is. I mean, a different uh, flavour, but it is an entrepreneurial journey. You've gone out, you've identified a gap in the market, you have researched it intensively, you have done some fundraising, you've put your own money in, and now it, it's time to start proving the hypothesis, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think one thing that we've also done that's been really helpful is we've done a significant amount of pipeline research. Yeah. I had somebody ask me one day, well, where are the deals, say? Yeah. And, and I said, well, you, you haven't been looking for them because you're just looking for SaaS um, or maybe med tech. But when you put a different screen and lens on it the way we have with our three impact themes, there are actually some incredible companies that already exist out there. And they just might not be positioning themselves 
as impact companies. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there was no incentive for them to do that before. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned those thematic areas. I was looking at them yesterday. Sustainable production and consumption, uh, resupply chains and health equity. Um, If I got those three correct, why, what drove you towards picking? Well, I suppose two questions. One, why did you pick just three to be very clear? And then why those three? Yeah, um, and to be honest, they cover quite a lot of ground, yeah. those three themes. Unlike um, investors who often just go with a sectoral approach, we really have a theory of change about how we want to make a difference in the world with our fund. And we identify what we think the biggest areas um, in the world require that are requiring innovation and change. And sustainable production encompasses food and ag tech, the circular economy, and renewable energy solutions. And we think these are the areas that are just ripe for change and innovation, and that we don't really have a choice to carry on as we have in the past. Yeah. And we also saw that that within Ireland and some of the other countries in which we look, there has been some innovation, and in the, in the great, food and ag is obviously the most evident here in Ireland. Um, but we're also seeing, you know, circular economy is a really interesting one, and, and, and really there's some really interesting opportunities. Um, so that's based on our own pipeline research. I'd say within health equity, that also has to do with the fact that I have recognized that the health system is not fit for purpose. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with um, the fact that it's, it's a complex area. But when we see how technology can be used to solve some of these major challenges, um, you know, there, there are efficiencies to be had. For example, wearables. Uh, reaching out femtech products designed by and for women that was never the case there were a lot of products designed but not by women (laughs) but yet for use by women that doesn't make sense therefore many customers the patients have been left out have been left out because the the products weren't designed for them um and then of course this idea of you know preventative health you know we're very interested within the health space of looking at preventative versus you know trying to find a cure how can we prevent this challenge from happening in the first place and any kind of sort of home testing or patient monitoring, robotics for care, diagnostic devices, that can really help bring down costs of healthcare and also have great health impacts on the other end. And then lastly, inclusive and accessible services, that's really around how can we make sure that every member of society has a chance to participate in the economy, uh, either in education or in the economy, with products that are built for, again, populations that are often overlooked. So within fintech, we'd look for inclusive fintech solutions for either maybe gig economy workers who can't access a mortgage regularly because they don't have full-time jobs. Or what about people with disability? How are they going to access some of these incredible technologies if they're not designed for them? And then lastly, the future of work. The way we work will never be the same, particularly after the last 18 months. How can we design product services for people in the workplace that can help them engage better and, and make sure to live their most valuable, best lives? So that, that's really what we were looking for. Fantastic. Uh, it's interesting where our show next week uh, will be talking about the future of work. So thank you for uh, setting that up nicely for us. Um, so so you've, you've, I mean, there's a difference there to maybe the traditional VC in that you're very, very clear on the areas that you want and even the sub areas within those that you're you're discussing, which is which is interesting. You mentioned uh, MagGrow. Um, that was yeah. your first investment. Um, yeah. Why, why? Did you pick Magro? What do they do, and why did you? What did it? What attracted you? Magro is some of the most fascinating technology that I've seen. It really captures your imagination. Magro is about using the power of magnetics to optimize how crops are sprayed, and that's just one application. I think the technology uh, that Magro has 
created could actually be used in it for a number of applications, but particularly within agriculture. As you probably know, crops are sprayed and have yeah. been for decades, and that can have incredibly negative consequences for you know for health and also on the environment. And it's also expensive to be spraying all those chemicals everywhere, and it requires a lot of water. So the idea of Magro is doing um, more with less, and. I would say the combination of the technology and the fact that we have to grow food more sustainably in order to feed the planet, but also the leadership and the founder, um, Gary Wickham, who's just remarkable. We just really have a fabulous connection. And and we have a similar vision and mission to really leave the world a better place, um, uh, but with business as, as the vehicle to get there. And I think it's been an incredible experience to work with them. And so I'd say... You know, that's the beginning of that journey. Yeah. Uh, and I was actually just meeting with him this morning uh, with Gary. I, I, I'm amazed and impressed by the results we're seeing in farms all over the world where the technology is reducing the need for water and chemicals by up to 50%, even higher at some stage. It's actually mind-blowing, particularly for farmers who've really not had the best go of it in the last 60 years of the modern economy. Right. And just to, you know, you're at the end of the day, so this is amazing technology. It's transforming agriculture uh, worldwide, but you're still a venture fund. You still want to get a return out of this. So when you are discussing with Gary over your your kind of catch up this morning, uh, there is still a a focus on growing the business on on driving top and bottom line revenue, I guess. It's it's not a this. I mean, this is still a business and you're still running a fund. Absolutely. I mean, we don't just sit around holding hands saying goodbye. <laughs> don't be mistaken, Connor. Um, I mean, I think when we look for companies, what we're really looking for, and Magro is an excellent example of this, that the impact that they want to have is baked into the business model. Yeah. They don't need to, to change to go be sustainable. It is actually core to what they are doing. And that is, to, to us, the best kind of company to invest in. Right. So it's baked in, actually. It's not something that's been bolted on or it's not something that no. I'll, I'll paste on. This is actually core to what we do. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not an impact or sustainability patina that's been brushed on and used to help engage or bring in other customers. Uh, just imagine with every you know, dollar of a macro product or euro of a macro product is sold, you can then translate that into, of course, you know, profit and returns, but also reduction of um, water and pesticide usage, ideally some increased yields, and hopefully also um, a better improvement in biodiversity and less pollution in right. our waterways and air. Okay. Um, have you got a healthy pipeline of, of I don't, don't expect you to share them, but have you a nice pipeline of opportunity? Is there, is there enough for you uh, to build a fund on in terms of new companies that are making a difference? Um, we have actually the problem of too much pipeline, right. to be really honest. Um, we're finding that the demand for a, an authentic impact-minded fund is quite strong yeah. here in Ireland, but also in Europe and at the early stage, you know, seed up to Series A, because we also come on board and help companies really think through their own kind of impact thesis. And, and that kind of skill set, you know, there's a real demand for it. So we've got some really exciting companies who we're talking to. Um, and, uh, you know, as I said, that's never, it's not an issue for us. And what's also really exciting is we're seeing it across those impact themes, um, and we're seeing some really interesting founders who really do believe in, in, in their businesses, not just because they want them to scale and be successful, but because of the impact they want those companies, um, their businesses to have over time. And, and also a lot of female founders and diverse founders, because that's really important to us. Um, we, we have a real belief that, you know, genius is spread universally, but opportunity is not. So we make sure to diversify the kind of individual founders 
who are out there um, because not everybody gets a fair chance. Um, that's a, that's a lovely phrase, actually. It's a, it's a fantastic way for us to finish off. Um, Faye, the very best of luck uh, with the fund. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And thanks for telling us all about uh, Wake Up Capital. Connor, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I hope to see you again soon, maybe even in person. Maybe even in person. Thanks so much. That's Faye Walsh-Driard of Wake Up Capital. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on profit with purpose, responsible investing and the drive to reduce carbon emissions. All very topical. Do join us again next week when we'll be looking at the future of work. As we mentioned with Faye, we will be returning to the office in the future. Or is there a new blended approach to our lives? Uh, That's what we'll be discussing next week. We hope that the stories you heard today will inspire you. If you have a great idea and are thinking of starting or scaling a company and you would like support, do get in touch with us at startup at dublinbic.ie. That's it for this week. Join us again next week at 12 noon for Startup Nation. 